The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. I think you can sit down for the preaching. Uh, Good morning, Mom. Thanks for joining us. My mother is here. She flew in. Uh, she got, I didn't see her when she got here. I was already asleep. So uh, she uh, flew all the way down here to watch me preach, I guess. That's how moms do. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you this morning at uh, Community Bible Church. I love Community Bible Church. Uh, It's been my church uh, since I was 15 years old. You can probably tell that was a while ago. And uh, I was called into gospel ministry as a profession, I guess, a job. Uh, here in 1986. I served as the youth pastor here for many years, I think almost 16 years. And then I served in, I don't know how many other roles. And then, uh, even though I wasn't really looking for it, the Lord uh, decided I was the guy to be the pastor of International Bible Church in Bonaire. You may not know what Bonaire is or where it is. I didn't until we had a missionary that we supported in this church who moved from Newark, New Jersey to Bonaire to be the pastor of International Bible Church. And uh, yeah, so I was the youth pastor and No, I wasn't the youth pastor. I was already not the youth pastor. Smedley Yates was the youth pastor. And we'd been sending mission teams up to Newark to serve with uh, Pastor Barron. And then uh, since he moved to Bonaire, we started sending teams to Bonaire. And then I started going to Bonaire mostly to do like fill in preaching for him. Um, And Yeah, after a while, he asked me if we, at CBC, if we could help find someone to uh, take his place as the pastor of International Bible Church, uh, because he wanted to retire. Well, sooner or later, he wanted to retire. I said, sure, we can do that. And then we didn't do that for quite a little while. And one time I was there and I thought, oh, we should probably get started on that. And so I was the guy to do that. So I was looking for someone to be the pastor of the International Bible Church in Bonaire. I was not looking to be the pastor of the International Bible Church in Bonaire. I was not looking to be the pastor. I was fine being a pastor but I wasn't really looking to be the pastor. And 
I'd been to Bonaire enough to know that, you know, going there for a two-week mission trip was not the same as moving there and living there. And uh, anyway, it really didn't even occur to me that it would be me. I was looking for someone else. And one day I was talking to someone else about maybe they could take this job. <clears throat> this conversation involved me explaining to them the whole situation, you know, all that's going on in the church and, you know, what I thought this pastor would need to manage or do or whatever. And uh, in the middle of that conversation, really, it suddenly dawned on me that I already knew that. And turns out I didn't know it as well as I thought I did, but, you know. And then it suddenly dawned on me that maybe I was the guy for that role. <clears throat> and as soon as it dawned on me, it really dawned on me. And I mentioned it to the pastor and to the elders, and they're all like, yeah, that seems kind of obvious to us. And so we figured out how to do that. So in 2013, I moved to Bonaire to become the, the pastor of International Bible Church. Um, Bonaire, you might not know, is in the southern Caribbean. It's a very small island. <clears throat> the whole island has a population now of just over 20,000 people. This was one of the reasons I wasn't that enthusiastic about going to Bonaire, because it's really a small town in the middle of nowhere. The weather is quite pleasant, though. So it's not, like quite, it's not quite like moving to a small town in the middle of Iowa or something like that, but uh, uh, I'd been living in Nashville for a long, long time. It's a, about the right size town. And, uh, you know, there's no Walmart in Bonaire. There's, well, there's a subway. <laughs> it turns out, though, that living in a small town in the middle of nowhere, if it's Bonaire, is no problem at all. And the church is a fascinating place to serve. It really is international. We have in our congregation, I think, at least seven different native languages. It, Bonaire itself is a very multicultural community. And uh, so the church is multicultural. We don't do it on purpose, but it is what it is. And it's in our threefold motto, I guess, which is Bible-based, gospel-centered, multicultural because the church reflects the community in which it lives. And so we work to uh, try to understand each other, to understand our various backgrounds, to, uh, I mean, we don't even really all speak the same language. <clears throat> the one language I guess we all kind of speak is English, and that's the language we operate in, lucky for me. <clears throat> but uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating place to work. It's a, a congregation of about 100 people that has seven different languages in it. It's, uh, 
wide variety of backgrounds in every conceivable way you might think about that. Uh, so it's a, it's a little microcosm of the church, which is very cool. You know, in the body of Christ, there's every tongue and tribe and nation. Wow, that's a lot of different languages. And not everyone in the church is American. You might not know that if you go to church in America. Because, I'm sorry, I'm about to preach on politics. I shouldn't do that. Because the church is not America. And America is not the church. That's all. Uh, well, we are here to talk about the church because that is the subject of the book of Ephesians. We sang that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. I was trying to pray that while we were singing it. Fount of every blessing. I think the writer of that song must have gotten that expression from the book of Ephesians where the opening sentence says, he has blessed us with every blessing. Well, uh, we're going to talk about the whole book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, now, at the men's retreat, we've been talking about the book of Ephesians. We've already done four sessions, and so I'm going to quickly try to get everyone up to speed on what we covered there. We started with the subject of the fullness of God. The, in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, we learned that God has blessed us comprehensively in Christ. There's no blessing left out for the body of Christ in the work of Christ from the Father. It's incredible. It doesn't always feel that way, but that's always true. One of the thing, one of the projects of the body of Christ is to work on living according to what's true rather than according to what it feels like. And what's true is that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. There's nothing left out, and that's already occurred. So that the church, the community of people who are united to Christ, is called his body. And then there's this crazy expression at the end of Ephesians chapter 1 where the church, his body, the fullness of him. Do you realize that in Ephesians chapter 1, the body of Christ is called the fullness of God? That's a high calling fullness of God. Now he's going to lay that out as we go along. And all of this unfolds from before the foundations, before the creation, before God made anything, he purposed all of this in Christ. And so this unfolds from the eternal plan of the triune God. The plan of redemption was made before anything else 
was made. Wow. And the purpose of all this was that we would become displays of his glorious grace. This right here is a display of the glorious grace of God. You don't have to be good looking to be a display of the glorious grace of God. In fact, it's better if you're not. You don't have to be a good person even to be a display of the grace of God. In fact, it's better, well, there aren't any of those, so it's no worry. God displays his grace in redeeming the lost, the ugly sinner. God actually told the nation of Israel, you know, there's nothing about you that made me choose you. I chose you because you were nothing. That way, you're a display of me, not you. This is repeated in Ephesians chapter 2 in the famous verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, it's a gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. No credit. So we can look across at each other in the church, we can even notice what a Ridiculous sinner that guy is. I might notice somebody's noticing that about me, but I can even notice that, and that amplifies the grace of God that it reached even that guy. You're going to get to heaven one day and be surprised at somebody who's there, and somebody else is going to be surprised that you're there. Because it's an expression of the grace of God. It amplifies the goodness of God in his kindness toward us who he saved. No blessing left out. The body of Christ, the fullness of Christ. And that's not about who we are or even what we act like or who we become. It's about the indwelling of Christ in his church. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we uh, learned about how God pulled this off. It, be, it opens with this amazing statement, you were dead. You remember that? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were just like everyone else, children of wrath. But God made you alive again, made us alive again in Christ and seated us. Do you notice that that's in the past tense? Seated us in the heavenlies in Christ. Christ ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God Almighty, the Father, seated at the right hand means he's the executive of the king, the Lord Christ Jesus. A man is seated there now, Jesus. 
and in him so are you. Already. Wow. Well, how does this involve the church? Well, we read in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians that in the work of the cross, Jesus broke down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles by fulfilling and rendering the law no longer necessary. That's really what the text of Ephesians teaches. By rendering the law of Moses no longer the law, he uh, removed the need for the Israel chosen people and he opened the chosen people opportunity to Gentiles. And so now, he says, in doing all this, he made us one new man. It does not say he made us new men, though that's also true, but we got to read about that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, so I'm new. But what's being made in Ephesians is the body, the one new man. Out of all the peoples, there's now one man. He doesn't even call it one nation there or one people. He calls it one man because it's the body of the one man, Christ. So, <clears throat> he uh, then, <laughs> it says this. Uh, let, me, let me read it to you because it says, for he himself is our peace. This is chapter 2, verse 14 who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Now, I tend to think of my reconciliation to God individualistically, that I was reconciled to God and you were when you came to Christ, and that's certainly true. But what's also true is that he made the church and reconciled the church to God as one body. We read, we read in, the, in verse 10 of chapter 2, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We is a plural word. Workmanship is a singular word. There's only one workmanship in Ephesians 2.10. It doesn't say we are his workmanships. It doesn't say you're one and I'm one and he's one. It says we're one. So Christ makes the church and reconciles the church as the church to God by the work of the cross. In individualistic cultures like ours, we, we read right through this and don't see it at all. 
but that is what it says. And that takes us to the middle of chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians where Paul prays. And in the second half of chapter 3, Paul's prayer is that we would, God would see fit to strengthen us with power through his spirit in the inner man, to strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner man. So Paul is calling upon God to empower us by the supernatural work of his own spirit dwelling in us. <clears throat> For what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts. Doesn't Christ already dwell in your heart? Mm-hmm. Does he dwell in your heart enough? No. How does this occur? That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. This is like saying that the Spirit would strengthen you to believe in Jesus so that you would become more fully occupied by Jesus, more completely overtaken by Jesus. more under the lordship of Jesus, I suppose. More ready to walk with Jesus instead of whatever way you might invent. He'll do this by strengthening us. Apparently, we are not strong enough to contain Jesus. To be the house of Jesus requires us to be stronger than we are. We don't have this strength. We need to get it. It is a prayer, not a commandment. In this way, we will become able to really understand the greatness of the love of God in Christ. That's the conclusion of chapter 3, right? That we might know the height, length, breadth, depth, I, I forgot the order of those words, that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might go deeper in our comprehension of how well loved we are in Christ. There is nothing but good news here. Every spiritual blessing. And so, by the ministry of the Spirit in my heart, which is necessary, I become strong enough to deal with the magnitude of Christ's love. And this, of course, is something we do together. It says it right there that you might gather with or comprehend with all the saints. Here's something I can try and try. I can use all my strength to understand the love of God and that can happen and I need your help on the project. I need to hear how you understand the love of God. I need to know how you appreciate the atoning sacrifice of our Savior. I need to know how the Lord is operating that love in your life and out of your life. I want to see it. I want to get together with you at least once a week around the table of communion and receive Christ with you.
again and again that Christ might dwell in my heart through faith so that I might understand somehow this thing that is beyond all understanding, the depth of the love of God. And the consequence of that will be that we begin to reflect the person of Christ into the world. We become the body of Christ. The living representation of him, <clears throat> excuse me, the living representation of him in the world to each other and in the world. That is not something you can do by yourself. We do it. In our fourth session, <laughs> you notice we're still in the introduction. Yeah. In our fourth session, we, uh, we learned about the biology of the blood of Christ. This is that section in chapter four where different people, each of us has a part to play in the, in the body of Christ. We live in relation to the one new man to grow into the one new man, actually, the life of, the, of Christ in the body of Christ. Some of us are gifted to equip the rest of us to serve each other, to speak the truth in love to each other, to be honest with each other, to share in our needs, to share our needs, and to serve one another's needs in every possible conceivable combination and even the smallest thing. Ministry is not what I'm doing, it's what we're doing. Ministry is serving. It's the fellowship that shares from resource to need and does so more and more freely. We grow in the spirit of generosity. Maybe you're a 14-year-old that needs to figure out how on earth to do geometry. Not because you want to know how to do geometry, because all the crazy grown-ups in your life are making you. Maybe there's another 14-year-old over here who, geometry, well, that's obvious. I can show you how to do that. And resource flows to need. That's an expression of the love of Christ in the body of Christ. It's simple stuff, like taking a meal to somebody who is incapacitated for a while. Or getting together for coffee on Thursday. And not to have a Bible study, but just to get together and share life. Fellowship is the thing. And so here in the body of Christ, we want to share life together. The word for share in the New Testament is the word koinonia, sometimes translated fellowship. That's all it is. And so the biology of the body of Christ is the exchange, the communication back and forth in whatever way you think of, whatever little thing. And I think the little things might be a bigger deal than the big things. Whatever little thing you think of to share the love of Christ 
with another human being. That's the biology of the blood of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into, in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We exhibit the sacrificial service that he exhibited. We don't do it in the magnificent way he did it. We do it in the little ways. We are just little imitations of that. The fullness of Christ is experienced and enjoyed. That's important. Experienced and enjoyed together in the body of Christ, in the community of Christ. Now, the church in Ephesians is pictured, this, this picture of a body is a picture of an organism, not an organization. It's an organism, not an organization. It's not a business. It's a family. I don't live in my family like I live at work. Now, given its focus on the church, we might expect the commandment section of the book of Hebrews, you know, where Paul says, therefore, I urge you. So on the basis of this truth, here's what you ought to do. We might expect that to be full of instructions about how to run a church. You know, like how to have a good youth program or how, what kind of teaching structure you need or how elaborate does your statement of faith need to be or uh, even what should be the order of the worship service. But here's a surprise. There's none of that in the book of Ephesians. There is some of that in the Bible, but there's none of it here in the book of the Bible that is about the theology of the church. So that stuff isn't as big a deal as the fellowship, the quality, the depth, the lovingness of our fellowship together in the body. Our relationships to God and to each other. Our relationship with God playing out in our relationships with each other. And as a consequence of that, in our relationship to the world. This is a way of saying what Genesis chapter 1 says when God said, let us make man according to our likeness to bear our image. Let us make man to be like us, to show us. That's what he's doing in the church. And he's doing it in the church, not just each one of us. How do, we see the, how do we see Christ in the body of Christ, not the parts? You could, if you examine my finger closely, you could tell it's my finger. But if you want to know me, knowing my finger isn't enough. You could, I could examine a mature Christian and tell he's a Christian that he, he exhibits a certain Christ-likeness. He has the DNA of Christ. But if I want to know Christ, I got to know the whole group. We want to become a true reflection of Christ. So, 
Now we can start. Therefore, Paul says at the beginning of chapter 1, I urge you. What does he urge us? He says he urges us to be eager. That's like a word for in a hurry. To be in a hurry to look after the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is the implication of all this teaching about the body of Christ? Hey, Christians, be careful with the body of Christ. Be careful of the quality of the fellowship you have in the body of Christ. Exhibit Christ-likeness in your own relation to the others in the body of Christ so that the whole of us might exhibit Christ-likeness. Take up your part, do your part, speak the truth in love so that we all reflect Christ-likeness and be quick to it. If, are you watching after anything? Watch after this. We have all experienced church life that did not exhibit this. This is our calling. To so well know the love of Christ that we become loving like Christ. And so form a community that loves like Christ, the fullness of God. So, he goes on, how do we do this? And I'm going to go pretty fast, I hope. I'm still on the first of three pages. So, we're going to go quicker. How do we walk in our new life in Christ? The first advice is right at, in the middle of chapter 4. He says, put off you, put on Christ. Put off you, put on Christ. You, the old man the one that's corrupted by deceitful desires, the one that's moved by selfish impulses, the independent youth, what in Galatians is called the flesh. That's you operating independently from God, which is our natural condition in humanity, and now we've been restored to walking in communion with God in Christ by the Spirit. He says, we do this to be renewed, to be renewed. That's restored to life, made young again even, it can mean. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You might notice in that, in that put off the old man, put on the new man, a sort of shift from operating by impulse to thinking in the spirit of your mind. There's a pivot from passion to thought so that one is governed by truth rather than by impulse. So that we operate according to what's true rather than according to what it feels like. Those don't always line up. Everyone knows that. And so in Christ, we know the truth. And Jesus said it himself, you know me, the truth, that will set you free. Hmm. 
So we put on the new man. The new man is created in the likeness of God, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. The Christian life is intended to be a truth-based life, which is another way of saying a Christ-based life. We might ask, who's this new man we're putting on? Well, we already know that. It's all of us operating in Christ. It's not a reformed or improved old man. It's not me trying to do better. It's me operating in the life of Christ that's found in the body of Christ by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in me and in you and among us. It's not just me working harder. That, have you, has anyone tried that? Not the way it was designed. Now, we're now walking in truth and not according to impulse. We might think, oh, this has got to involve the scripture. I think that's right. Here's a hint for you, though. When you're reading the scripture, I think you want to read it for the truth and not for an impulse. Not, what am I going to get out of this today? But what is true? And then I can live from that. You see how that changes our devotional habit from some sort of magic to real spiritual living. what's true, and then you're going to need the spiritual power to live that according to that. In Ephesians, the new man is us together united in Christ, the body of Christ, which is called right there in chapter 1, the fullness of God. We experience and enjoy the fullness of Christ in the body of Christ. So we join with other believers to remember who we are in Christ, to abandon trust in ourselves in favor of trusting Christ and what he's done. We let him dwell in our hearts through faith. We explore his unbounded love and we celebrate it together. This is a magnificent opportunity that is available to us in Christ. It's a thing to take advantage of. It's not a burden. Now, here in chapter 4, the rest of it is sort of a comparison between how the old man behaves and how the new man behaves. So the old man stays angry, exhibits wrath. The new man deals with his stuff right away. He doesn't let stuff hang around in the air between him and somebody that might somehow damage the quality of the fellowship of the body. He's looking out for the fellowship of the body. And so he's, if something makes him angry, man, he's on that. Because anger is gasoline. James says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It's something to be very careful with.
So if someone's offended you, Jesus said it, go talk to him. This is hard, I know. It, it's hard to admit that you're the sort of jerk that could be offended by that behavior. But you deal with it. There's multiple ways of dealing with it, but you deal with it. You don't let it stick around. Uh, the old man lies, the new man tells the truth. The new man's honest, recognizing that we are one man. That's right in the text. He tells the truth because he knows we're one body. Truth-telling. Truth is the basis of all of this. The old man steals. The new man works in order to give. <laughs> That's quite a reversal. The, other, the new old man's taking stuff that isn't his. The new man's giving stuff that is his that he worked for. That's just an exhibit of the sacrificial love of Christ. Very concrete one. The old man speaks rot, which really just means he t whatever comes through his head comes out of his mouth. And most of it is really useless. And if you paid any attention to it, it wouldn't help. It might damage some things. The word in the text is rotten corrupting. The new man speaks to build up, says what's fitting, says what, I love this expression, gives grace. The old man grieves the spirit. The spirit is in, argument, in, an, in a fight with the old man. That's Galatians chapter 5. The old man lives in all kinds of bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice. Those are all the words in the text here. The new man is kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, because he knows how well he's been forgiven. So what makes you forgiving is knowing how well you've been forgiven. It's always a reflection of the grace of God into the lives of other people. And you know, you can't forgive something unless you've really been wronged. For real. That never makes sense to the flesh. But if you've been forgiven, you become forgiving. And that means when someone's really actually done you wrong, you let it go because Christ is letting you go. All right. The second thing we are called to do here is to be imitators of God as beloved children. Later we'll be called to be filled with the Spirit. And finally we'll be called to be strong in the Lord. And then last of all, we're called to pray all the time. Well, to be imitators of God, it doesn't just say be imitators of God. It says be imitators of God as beloved children. That's an expression of, the, of our sonship reflected in our lives. That's a likeness bearing image. 
uh, you can't be an imitator of God without being the beloved child of God. It's as I know his love that I share it. Since you're created in the likeness of God, reflect the character of God. Oh, this is another way of saying, put on the new man. There are various ways of walking in this way. He uses the word walk three times. He says, walk in love. I think that's an interesting expression. Walk in love. Is that telling you to be loving or to be loved? You can't tell. I think both. To be loving because you are loved. That's what it's saying. Walk in love. Walk in the love of Christ. There's another list of specific sins that follow after that commandment, and those are all ways you might be unloving. The law is summarized in, lo in the one word, love. Walk as children of light, we're called on here. People who understand the truth and live in it. And one of the things we do in this section is we practice discerning what pleases the Lord. <laughs> We're working on figuring out what pleases God. That's an expression that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews as well. We, come, we should be mature, people who are well-practiced in discerning between good and evil. So that means we're trying stuff out and then, oh, okay, not that. We practice, we work at it, we try stuff, and this is relational, right? So that means it's really complicated because people are different. And what might express the love of Christ to one person might be the last thing I should do to that person. Okay, so I, we really need to know each other. That's in the book of Hebrews all, also. Uh, not, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together like some people do, but encourage one another. Consider one another. That means really think about each other in order to stir up love and good works. Same thing. We walk as children of light. That means we walk in a true understanding of the truth. We live from the truth. We walk as wise in this text, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, we're operating from the truth. Wisdom, wisdom is living truthfully. pretty simple, really. I didn't say it was easy. Simple. So we're, we're called to put on the new, put off you, put on the new man, be imitators of God as beloved children, and then be filled with the Spirit. And this reminds me of the prayer in chapter 3 where Paul prays that the Spirit would strengthen us in the inner man. And he's saying, hey, Whatever you can do to cooperate with that, do it. The Spirit empowers us so that Christ can occupy our hearts by faith so that we experience the fullness of God. This is another way of saying, put on the new man.
there's a text in here that's about singing together. Singing together in true-hearted worship. <laughs> Speaking to each other by singing. Singing's a weird thing. Isn't it? It's strange. Singing. But there's a unity in singing together that is unique and full person involving in a way that just conversation isn't. We need the conversation too, but we need the heart of the song. Uh, I, one of the best theology books I ever read talked about the, the fellowship of the Trinity as a chorus, an everlasting song. Do you ever hear that song? I can't remember what song it is. They're, the words are, join the everlasting song. And that's what's happening and has been happening for all eternity among the persons of the Trinity. They enjoy each other so much they sing together. And in Christ, by the Spirit, we, the body of Christ, are being gathered in to the fellowship of the triune God, the magnificent, glorious, gracious God. Uh, you're going to be singing, even if you're no good at it. You're going to sing. There's something when we gather together in the body of Christ for worship about the singing Biblical, we're actually commanded to do this. And then he says, giving thanks all, always and for everything. <laughs> oh, easy. <laughs> giving thanks always for everything. We know that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We know that God has promised to provide for his children in every good way at all times. I think I need some stuff that he's not given me. He says, no, you got everything. If you don't have it, you don't need it. And I understand that under certain conditions, that is hard. But we want to live by the truth. We want to live according to what is true, not according to how it feels. And that can be a deep challenge. How are you going to get through it when it's a deep challenge? Somebody is going to be with you in it. Christ is with you all the time, and he's going to be with you in somebody. That's how. Be filled with the Spirit. He says, giving thanks always for everything. And then he says, this giant principle of life in the church, submitting to one another in love. I'm sorry, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is speaking the truth in love. And then what follows after that is a long list of various ways you might do that. The general commandment is submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. 
Husbands, submit to your wife as Christ submits to the church, which is by his sacrifice for it, his sacrifice for her holiness. That's a form of submission. All of these things are under the heading, submit to one another. That text in Ephesians chapter 5 is not about who's the boss. If, any, if anyone ought to be saying, hey, sit here on the sofa, let me bring you something to drink, it's the husband who is eager to exhibit the sacrificial love of Christ to his wife, submitting to her in sacrificial love and her submitting to him in faithful respect, in faithful support, partnering with him in life, as we do with him in life. Children, submit to your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. I guess we ought to translate that into workers. Submit to your boss. As though you were working for Christ. Oh, and he says, and masters, you too. None of this threatening. You have a boss who loves you. You be a boss who loves them. Then he's into this section about be strong in the Lord, put on Christ as the armor of God. And the conclusion of that is praying, praying, praying. I believe that Christian life can be summarized with one word, pray. It is the life of turning from reliance on other things to reliance upon God in Christ. That's the prayer move. Always, always, always. The whole thing is a prayer. The thing I want to notice in conclusion is the priority of fellowship. And I've probably already noticed this, but the new life, this new life is about the enjoyment of new fellowship. It's about growing in our fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. It's about exhibiting that fellowship in our fellowship with each other. It's about exhibiting that in our interactions in the world. What if the church prioritized fellowship? The simple acts of sharing life, loving one another in the family of God. I think sometimes we over-program things and we get caught up in what we're doing and we forget the opportunity of fellowship. Jesus didn't say if you have a great youth ministry. He said, this is how all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, not what's your program. He didn't say if you have a great youth ministry. He didn't say if you have a really high quality music in your worship service. He didn't say if you have an especially well-crafted confession of faith. He didn't say any of those things. I, I'm not arguing against those things. They're all great. But 
the quality that makes us identified as his is the quality of our love for one another. The quality of how well do we share life together? How generous are we with one another? And how is that reflected out into the world? I think the best evangelism is to take the loving fellowship of the church and wrap it around some person that isn't in it yet. And if it comes up, talk about Jesus. We exhibit his love. Uh, you can't do that without sharing the gospel. Here in the book of Ephesians, the priority is fellowship. The point is coming to appreciate and enjoy the reconciliation that is accomplished by the blood of, of the cross. Our reconciliation with each other and together with God Almighty so that we know we are the fully blessed people. We are the community of every spiritual blessing. We are the people of the one little word, Abba. We enjoy the love of Christ, so we exhibit the love of Christ. We need to pray with Paul that the Spirit of God would strengthen us for these things. It's not our own capacity. It's him living in us. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these realities, for this great truth. Oh, Lord, you are so good to us. It's beyond our imagination. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.